from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. All right, we're here. We are so here. When people say you need to learn to be present, we are present today. I am present for you. This is like a big, this is so lame. This is like a big present. Um, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show Lightning Round. These are fun. This is exciting. I'm all jacked up Mountain Dew. I got my pee pants on right now. All right. And uh, I just heard some groaning. Oh, was, was that? Look out. Was that? I was the getting studio ready. cat. Getting no, I don't think so. She's not here at the moment. She'll All be right. back. Carly, the studio cat. She comes out every now and then. Anyway, <coughs> welcome to the Badass Counseling Show. I am your host, Sven Erlinson. Yes, my parents had a sense of humor. Uh, all five of my older siblings got totally normal names, and then they tagged me with that one. I'm convinced I gave mom a lot of pain during childbirth, Rob. Journal it out, dude. <laughs> Journal it out. That's right. I already have. That's why I can laugh about it. Hey, what if you can't laugh? What are you going to do? Cry? Well, fuck that crying. No, crying's the healing. All right. I am joined in studio by KC over in the booth, waving to everyone. She has a special wave with that middle finger for me. And I've got Rob the Rocket right next to me. How are you, Rob? Present. Present. <laughs> We've got a theme today. Today, we are going to work present into the questions and answers that you all are firing my way. The questions you're firing, and hopefully I have one or two answers. Good idea. Well, let's, uh, I guess we just go ahead and dive right in. But before we do, I want to welcome our listeners from Milwaukee to Mill Valley, from Mankato, Minnesota to Melbourne, from Massa to Mississippi. Great to have everyone here. And we are diving right in with questions on the Badass Counseling Show. Here we go. I'm a live feed from Facebook, TikTok, and Insta. All right. Oh, here we go. Getting a big one. Getting her going on the failure to launch sort of theme today. That wasn't even the theme, but let's start it off with Libra, Libra Girl. All right. She says, what do you do? When your almost 20-year-old hasn't decided on college and doesn't work, sleeps all day, what do you do? Okay, I'm just going to be really honest with you guys. Problems going on with kids reflect very often problems going on between the parent-child relationship, okay? And very often, and not always, so maybe it doesn't apply here with Libra Girl, um, but as a parent, the conversation has to change and probably the tone of the conversation has to change. And what has to change is I, obviously you want the child to get on and launch their life and so on and so forth. But the fact that they're not, do you know that it is, is what we need to look at? Because you know that it's a kid's natural state to want to move on and have a life and build a life. That's actually their natural state. It's sort of, you know, the wanting to come alive, wanting to express myself in the world, get out there and get after it. You know, that is the desire. So if a kid isn't doing that, something is blocking it. Something inside that kid or something's thing or things in that kid's life is blocking it. And there's things going on inside of that kid as well as potentially around the kid. So the conversation has to change and or has to be infused with what's going on. And very often, if the child is in this case, and this may not apply with you, Libra girl, but very often if the, if the kid, the 20-year-old kid is in this state, it's very often because there's a, a fissure, there's a problem in the relationship between the parents and the kid. And very often the kid is, and, and again, this may not apply, but very often what I see 
uh, over the you know over the years is that the kid has gotten the message that what you want, who you are, doesn't matter, or it will be judged, or it will be criticized, and so the kid is terrified to express themselves if 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 they know that they're going to be criticized for what they want to go after. And so the conversation has to change. And if that kid is not in therapy, I would recommend it because that is going to help that kid find their voice. In fact, you can actually require it. But there's another piece. Uh, you ask the question, what do you do when your almost 20-year-old uh, hasn't decided on college and doesn't work and sleeps all day? Are there parameters in place? Are there in insofar as have you expressed that, you know, there's an end date? because it sounds like you want to, and or even more importantly, what's going on inside of you? What are the feelings going on inside of you as a parent? Obviously frustration, otherwise you wouldn't even be asking this question. And so you in your own journaling, you need to be working on what your feelings are. Perhaps there's even resentment. Perhaps there's uh, you know fear. There, uh, there has to be fear. And so you've got to get into all your feelings and you've got to be flushing those out so that you can be acting from a place of centered. Uh, but this this kid, there is a story inside of this kid, and in all likelihood, he's frustrated with his parents, perhaps even angry, and this may be his way of saying fuck you to you and to the parents, maybe. It's not always, but sometimes it is because oftentimes the only thing that the child has the power to do, the only control that the child has is the power to say no. No. You want me to do this, or you want me to do that, or you think I'm bad, or you think all these things, and so I'm just going to say no. I'm going to quit. So fuck off, I'm gonna quit. So it could be that this is a fuck off. This could, it could be that this is a no. It could be I don't want to meet all of your expectations and do all the things you want me to do. It could be that that's what's really going on here. But in the end, your child is not gonna launch until it's safe for that child to launch, until they know they're being supported and that their dreams are valid and that they're being encouraged and that you know old wounds are being healed. That's important too. Um, and I've done a lot of videos on that. Um, anyway. Next question. I'm on chapter 35 of There's a Hole in My Love Cup. Do you have more books? Actually, it's funny. We're just finishing it up. My editors are in the process of finishing editing. We've got a, I've got a 366 day, because yes, I include leap day, uh, February 29th, daily sort of meditation, ass kicking, journaling prompt uh, book. I have other books on the website, but those are sort of all on other topics, uh, badasscounseling.com. But yes, we do have a sequel coming out. I have a sequel coming out on... Uh, uh, to there's a hole in my love cup. Next question. Why does the narcissist believe they aren't lying, but you know the truth? <laughs> Two answers to that. One, they know goddamn well they're lying. <laughs> they may say they don't know, or they may pretend they know. They're not dumb. No, that's just part of control. They, they want to control the narrative entirely. The question is, why do you believe they don't know? Why do you choose to believe that they don't know? And the question is, why do you continue to tolerate someone treating you this way? The way we empower victims is, and, and empower people who are on getting the short end of the stick or being shit on is helping them see how they need to change their own patterns. Because you can't, you can try to change a, a narcissist or what I call an extreme taker. You can try to change another person. But fundamentally, what I have to change is inside of myself. What do I need to change in any situation to make my life better for me. This is about empowering yourself by finding out what those core beliefs are inside of you that are dragging you down, what you've been taught about yourself, what your pains are and what your fears are. And the more I go into my own shit, I become stronger, I become clearer. 
And just for the record, you guys, when it comes to self-help and self-care and so forth, one of the most underrated and least talked about benefits of doing the work, we all hear about healing and growth and peace and a sense of purpose and power and all those things are fucking important, no doubt about it. But the one that never gets talked about or very rarely is clarity. Fucking hell, you do this work that I'm having you guys do, that I write the, the book for, and that, you know, all this free shit that Rob spends hours and hours, tens of hours every week editing. And the KC comes up with the creative on so much of this stuff and, and the infrastructure for the company and shit like that. All of this, all of this is to help you guys heal and all this stuff. But above all, man, the thing that never gets talked about is clarity. The more you do this work, the clearer you will become on who you are, on what you want for, for your life and what doesn't feel right and what does feel right. You'll become so clear. Uh, so that's why I continue to encourage you guys, keep doing this work, keep pounding the work. All right. Why are narcissists the way they are and how can they change? This question is coming in from Instagram. Why are narcissists the way they are and how can they change? First of all, I wanna tell you that I've done a lot of videos free, on uh, narcissism, uh, what I call extreme takers, and they're available on all the social platforms, all the major social platforms. On TikTok, they're cataloged. I had an assistant and she cataloged them all on TikTok. You can go to my page and you can actually find the album that has all the narcissist um, videos in it. I lost my assistant and so uh, they're not cataloged on Facebook and Instagram and so forth, but why are narcissists the way they are and how can they change? They are the way they are because of imprinting, because of the core beliefs they were taught about themselves as children. They got the message either A, they are queen of the world, or B, they aren't shit. And even if that child was the golden child being taught they were queen of the world, underlying that message is that they aren't worth shit. Why? Because the golden child is given a set of expectations, very clear expectations of what they got to do, who they got to be in order to get the Scooby snack of mommy and daddy's love or whoever's raising the kid. And so the underlying message, when the expectation is you got to do what I want you to do, you got to do what I want you to do. If you want to get love, you got to do what I want you to do. The underlying message is you are not intrinsically of worth <laughs> and who you are your voice, your feelings, what you want for your life doesn't matter. You, authentic you, doesn't matter. So interestingly, the narcissist golden child and the narcissist who's being crapped on are both getting the exact same message. Who you really are doesn't matter. And so the child or teen or whenever the traits develop discovers that the only way I can get love is with control by being a fucking asshole, by taking advantage of people, by lying, right? Now, some people, and by being a taker, by taking love from other, other people. Now, someone else going through those exact same set of circumstances, either as the golden child or as the one being shit on, someone else can go through those exact same set of circumstances and choose the opposite path of becoming an extreme giver. You can understand how that would happen, right? That the extreme giver gets the message, you aren't worth shit. You're only gonna get a Scooby snack from me or you're only gonna get love or the only hope of love is to try to make mommy or daddy happy. So I'm gonna do everything, I'm gonna do everything. I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna love you. No matter what you do, you can hit me, you can yell at me, you can harm me in every way possible. I'm gonna give you more and 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 more, an extreme giver, right? They come from the exact same place, extreme givers and extreme takers, exact same place. And worse, or just as sly, is that often extreme givers can actually come from fucking good homes. But somewhere it was conditioned, it was patterned, it was modeled, as my mother said for 90 plus years, what's being modeled for the child. And often what's being modeled is that someone gives and someone takes. 
And that extreme giver learns to give, 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 right? And then you want to see your real fireworks when that child who was raised in that shit storm or even in good home, but becomes the extreme giver and they become an adult. And then they happen to bump into at a bar, that person who was raised in the shit storm or as the golden child, the person who becomes the extreme taker. Oh boy. Watch the sparks fly and they think it's love because the extreme taker is finally getting all this love. Oh my God, I met an extreme giver. Bing, 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 bing. Fucking jackpot, man. And the extreme giver is thinking, oh my God, I got somebody who gives me some attention and they love it when I give more and more and more. Oh God, they want me. <laughs> no, no. They want you to pour love into their love cup. And you seem to be a never ending source of love. And that's why when an extreme giver goes to leave an extreme taker, the extreme taker appears to change. Miracle of miracle, praise Jesus, he's changed. Or she's changed. No, they haven't. They didn't change. They just are doing all the things you've always wanted them to do. And isn't it interesting they're doing it now? That implies they heard you the whole time. But they didn't do it before because there was no pain point. There was no incentive. And now they're changing. No, they're just doing what they know you want. Why? They don't want you. They want their love source back. Yeah, not pretty when extreme givers meet extreme takers. And this, my friends, is why parenting is so fucking important. Everything starts with parenting. And I put up a post, I believe it was last night. If you're considering having a child or you dream of having a child, if you're in your teens or you're in your 20s, this is for you. Or maybe you're in your 30s and still considering having a child, whatever. This is for you. You have to be able to answer one question or don't have a fucking child, okay? And the question is simply this. Is the person that you're getting into this relationship or in a relationship with and considering having a child with, if this person somehow goes afoul of your children, it can be male, female, it can be non-binary. This is not a gender thing, people. If this person starts mistreating your child and or mistreating you, but particularly mistreating the child or is negligent towards the child. It doesn't even have to be outright abusive, but negligent or criticizing or manipulative or controlling. Will you exercise your power to protect your child against all enemies, foreign and domestic? If you cannot answer that in the affirmative, if you cannot answer with the resounding hell yes, don't have a child. Don't. If you're not going to protect your child from the potential of your uh, spouse or partner or whatever going afoul of your child, if you're not going to do that, you don't deserve to have a child, period. Your primary job is to protect that child, even if it means protecting against the other. So you don't later get to say, oh, I don't have the energy or, oh, I'm scared. or No, 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 no. You have to protect that child. So what that means is if you don't have inner strength, if you grew up in that home that was a shit storm, if you grew up in a home or whatever, or where you have in significant insecurities inside of you, and in all likelihood, if you're listening to my shit, you probably do. And you got healing work that you're working on. But if you got shit going on inside of you, don't, and if there's a chance of that causing you to not stand up for your child, despite all your strong words, if that would cause you to not stand up for your child, don't have the child. You got more work to do. Wait, you can have the child later, but wait and do the work of healing your own motherfucking childhood. Why? Because we're in the business of great parenting. We're in the business of deliberate parenting. And if you aren't in that business, don't have a fucking child, please. Okay?
Great. Next question. Let's get after it. Why do narcissists abandon their children? Well, first of all, not all of them do. Okay. But that's not really your question. Why do narcissists abandon their, their children? <laughs> the same reason they'll abandon anyone. Why? Because a narcissist, what I call extreme takers. Why? Because it's about me and getting my needs met. I am more important than you. I am more important than the child. I am more important than everyone. And I will take, and I will take energy and attention and affection from my spouse, from my friends, if they let me pull it off, from my children, especially. Children are easy targets. Why? Because they so badly want to get love. It's like a living, breathing, extreme giver. And here I am, an extreme taker. I get to take from everybody. I get all these children pouring love into my love cup. This is fucking awesome. And if you don't meet my needs, child, I'm going to push you away. Fuck you. Right. That's how bad the pain is inside an extreme taker. And very often, that's how bad the pain is inside that extreme taker's spouse that they're allowing that shit. Allowing the child to have their love, their energy, their uh, identity, their sense of self siphoned from them. All right, next question. Let's go a new direction. All right, what do we got? How do you explain fear of not protecting kids from abuse of their dad? There's no explanation for not protecting your kids from abuse. There's no explanation. Except in the most extraordinary of cases uh, where, you know, there's threat of being killed or something like that, which does exist. That's, that's legit. That's honest. There are extreme cases, but there's no, there's no excuse for not protecting kids from abuse. There's not, which is why one of the, um, one of the things that we come to in, in my counseling and clients is the culpability of the seemingly innocent parent, the culpability of the parent who allowed it to happen. And that's earth shattering for a lot of people. That turns the entire myth, family myth upside down in a lot of cases. Next question. Okay. We are stuck on this whole narcissism thing today. So I'm, I'm just going to go with the flow. The good Lord is leading me or the life or universe. So I'm just going to be a follower here. Here we go. <laughs> Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Why does my mom still want the love of my narcissistic, ex-alcoholic, physically abusive grandpa? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because your mom has been conditioned to believe that grandpa's important. She's not. She's still wanting her love cup filled from the grandpa. Isn't that fascinating that you're an adult, which implies your mom's probably, I don't know, what, 50s, 60s, 70s, somewhere in there. And grandpa is, what, 70s, 80s, 90s, somewhere in there. That your mom, even in her fifth or sixth generation, whatever it is, is still wanting the love of the narcissistic, ex-alcoholic, physically abusive grandpa. Boy, what does that say? that you have a pattern of behavior that is, let's just say, six decades long. Your mom has a pattern of behavior six decades long of not getting her love needs met by her father, and she's still trying. What that says is some the child, children love parents more than parents love children. A child will endure all manner of shit at the hands of a parent that the parent would never endure at the hands of a child. And that child, people go well into adulthood still wanting that affection, attention, acknowledgement, uh, apology, accept, you know, a, a affirmation, approval, still wanting it despite all the evidence, decades of evidence to the contrary. Why? Because it's terrifying to admit I'm never going to get my needs met by my grandfather it's, or by my father or mother. It's terrifying to admit that maybe they never loved me to begin with. It's terrifying to admit that I really never had a fucking parent because they didn't give me the fucking love. It's terrifying to admit I've been alone the whole time. 
It's terrifying to admit that I've spent my entire life contorting myself to try to win the approval and the acceptance of my parent, and I've never gotten it, and I'm never going to get it. That you talk, you want to see when the, you want to see a soul grieve. The soul grieves when it realizes I am never going to get my love needs met by my parent. That is the grieving, keening, as the Irish used to call it, keening of the soul. It's sad, but it's also one of the single most liberating days of your life. Why? Because you realize I've spent my whole fucking life contorting to finally win their love and I can stop contorting and I can finally live my life my way. So it's simultaneously sad and liberating. Next question. But before we get to the next question, much, much more to come right after this short break. You've heard Sven talk a lot about his book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. And that's because Sven hears from his followers a lot about how much the book has helped them. If you're not sure how to handle the issues getting in the way of a better life, you're not alone. And you have a lot of choices. But thousands of readers will tell you that this is a great place to start, by yourself and at your own pace. So go to badasscounseling.com and order There's a Hole in My Love Cup, and you'll have Sven right there with you as you forge your best future. It's totally badass. So get started today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Back with more to kick your ass. Here's Sven. And we are back with the lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. I'm happy today. It is a Saturday morning in studio and I went for a bike ride today. I biked down to my Starbucks and saw Fred and saw Oliver behind the counter. I love Oliver. He's a great guy, Danish kid. Love that guy. And so it's great to be here. I'm excited. I'm happy. And I got a great question sitting right in front of me right now. And boy, oh boy, if we haven't all been at this point at one point or another, you go down the path of life and love and you're going to come to this one. And Tracy, really great question here, Tracy. How many times should we keep giving someone a chance? Now, come on. Raise your hand if you have fucking been there at some point in your life asking yourself the same damn question. How many times should we give someone a chance? All right. And this question comes from a place of love. The mere fact that you're asking the question says, I love this person. And there are aspects I enjoy of being around this person. So that otherwise you wouldn't even consider giving them the chance, right? There are aspects you like. And but then obviously you wouldn't be asking the question unless there were aspects that sucked ass. <laughs> Ass is the theme today. I like ass, but uh, earlier it was, anyway. Or was that in the previous episode, Rob? I'm not prepared to discuss this. <laughs> Anywho, how? All right, so how many times should we give someone, or should we keep giving someone a chance? You want to, but you don't want to, right? That's where you are. And you've obviously given chances. And the mere fact that you have to keep giving chances says that this person keeps letting you down. Obviously, that's why you're considering giving another chance because they let you down and boy, now they're, boy, now it's all the promises or they've changed or all this shit, right? We've all been there. I'm gonna answer two things about this question. One, you stop giving chances when you realize this person has not changed and is not going to change. And sometimes we have to go back to a relationship two or five or seven times. I had a client once, this is the record, 13 times. Then she became my client. And, uh, or she came back at 12 and, uh, oh, look, here comes Carly, the studio cat. <laughs> Walked right across uh, my computer screen here. This is great. And I love Carly. Carly's welcome. I love that. I was just about to take her and start petting her. Anyway, you guys missed Carly. <coughs> Facebook didn't miss it. Facebook got a body full of Carly. Anyway, back to the question. How many times should you give someone a chance? You keep giving the chance until you realize this person has not changed and is not going to change. And clearly you haven't realized that yet. 
Or this is the second part. Or you go inside yourself and you say, what the fuck is going on inside of me? What's the fear driving my behavior? Because the, the problem isn't the other person. You think it is. And that's why you keep pulling away. And then you go back thinking they've changed as if you basically you're being controlled by their actions or inactions, by their failures regarding you or their successes. They are fundamentally controlling you. You're not in control of you. And to go inside of you and ask yourself the question, what is the primary fear driving the behavior? You guys have heard me ask this a million times. If you're ever trying to understand why someone is doing something that doesn't make sense or why they're doing anything, ask yourself the question, what's the primary fear driving the behavior? Then speculate the answers and go with the biggest, hairiest, scariest one because it's always the biggest. That, that is always the motivator. And so in this case, what is it that you're afraid of that keeps you giving this person a chance? Well, the obvious answer, one of the obvious answers is you're terrified of being alone, right? Or you're terrified of looking the person in the face and them you know, talking you out of it or the backlash or making them feel bad. Or you're terrified of what people will think of you if you end another relationship or end this relationship again. Or very often what is really going on, especially in the fear of being alone, is the voices that rise up inside you when you are alone. Those old voices of, I suck, I'm no good, see, I'm unlovable, see, someone left. So we'll hold on to someone when they give us love because their being in my life is a living, breathing counter message to those core beliefs I was taught about myself as a child that I suck, that I'm unwanted, unwantable, that I'm no good, that the real me doesn't matter, that I'm not worthy of love. All those fucking messages come rising up into your head and go pound, pound, pow, pow keep beating you up. That's why people fear being alone. It's not the actual act of being alone. I mean, yes, that can be a piece of it at times, but it's not that. Now, nah, what it really is, what it really, really is, really, really, really is, is those voices, man. And they're terrifying. They've been beating you up your whole life, which is why you've been making shitty decisions your whole life. It's because you're afraid of those voices, those condemning, criticizing voices. And until you excise, extract, cut out those voices, until you go into the origins, origins, people, everything is about origins of those core beliefs you've been taught about yourself until you identify those beliefs, which is what my book is for. There's a hole in my love cup and identify their origins, which is gonna mean looking at some extremely uncomfortable truths, people. Until you look at that shit, you ain't healing shit. You're just changing surface behaviors. You're not going down to the core shit, the core beliefs, the core crap that's driving those behaviors. You change those though, you change those core beliefs, everything changes. All right, next question. That was a fun one. I like that one. All right, here's a good one, parenting question. How do I fix it with my children after I failed them? We are out now, but the damage is done. You go back, before you even go back and apologize, which is a necessary precursor, to anything going anywhere with your kids, you go into yourself, you go in in your journaling and you write down, you start journaling about all the things I have done to hurt my children. You journal it out. No one's gonna see these journals, you're doing it for you. You flush out everything, you speculate, not just the obvious ones, but other ways that you have hurt your child or children. You flush and you flush and you keep doing it. Then on the same pad of paper, you write a letter to your children that, or child, I'll just go singular for the moment. You write a letter to your child that you do not send. Do not send. Did you hear me? Do not send. Because then you'll start to edit and redact and all that bullshit. The goal is to flush out everything and to flush out and to send your, uh, in your words, but not actually send it to the child, all the things that you feel towards that child, particularly all the remorse and contrition. By the way, if there isn't remorse and contrition for how you have hurt your child, don't even fucking engage this exercise. Why? Because you're fucking lying. 
You're cutting yourself off from the painful feelings. You said you fucked up basically, all right? How do I fix it with my children after I failed them? So you better be feeling contrition and I'm guessing you are. Or are you desiring to fix it with your children? And this is really the key question. So anyway, you gotta, you gotta get out all your stuff, all right? You start with that. Then you actually go to the child if they'll still have the conversation and you ask them, you tell them, I am sorry, I, I know I did this, 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 this. And you articulate, delineate every single one. Don't just make it a, I'm really sorry, gee, I'm sorry for everything I did. That's a bullshit apology and it'll weigh hollow. Because if the crime is 100 units big and the apology is 10 units big, you'll be able to claim, well, I apologize. But the person receiving that apology is gonna say, yeah, that's kind of a $5 apology for a $500 crime, fuck off. I don't wanna be near you. And they may, even if you do the $500 apology, they may not want to. And they get time. They get as much time as they fucking need. But this cuts to the core of the question. You ask the question, how do I fix it with my children after I failed them? So anyway, uh, let me go back and say that you lay all that before the child and, and ask them also then what you've done and you listen to them and you apologize for those things and then you let it go. And they may want a relationship with you right away. They may not. And you have to let it go. They get the room and you got to change your behaviors, by the way. You got to do all that. That's right. You want to know why? Because it's called being a fucking responsible human being, let alone being a responsible parent. You have to do all that work. And if you're not coming into it with a contrite heart, don't go into it at all because you're lying, you're faking it, you're protecting yourself. Back to the real issue. The real issue is this. You say, how do I fix it with my children? In other words, something is broken. There, there's a breach in the relationship, right? Because of what you did, you failed them. Okay, and I admire your honesty and your courage in saying that and allowing up all your feelings that you feel and doing all these things that I've just listed, the journaling, then the letter writing that you don't send, then eventually going to the child and, and apologizing for all the things and then listening to the ways that uh, they may have that you didn't uh, write out, you didn't see or whatever and being open to hearing that and apologizing for that, then changing your actions and letting go of the relationship and that's critical because if your goal is to fix the relationship, if that is your goal and that supersedes quote unquote, fixing the child, then you're using this apology to get something back for you. And that's not okay. If you're wanting to fix it with the parents so that you, or with the child so that you can get the relationship back, then you're ultimately doing it for your purposes. Oh, sure, it's for them too. No, it's for you. But if you are engaging in these actions to help the child heal, then you're doing it for the right reason. So let me ask you, this is the really great question. If you've harmed your child, if you've failed your child, if you've let them down, if you've hurt them, and you, you are wanting to apologize and wanting to make it right with them and so forth, let me ask you this question. If you had to choose, if you were being forced to choose at gunpoint between in this situation, healing the child or getting the relationship back. That you can have the relationship back, but the child won't be healed from your actions. Or you can heal the child, but you won't get the relationship back. Which would you choose? And if you answer A, that you would choose the relationship over the child, eh, wrong answer. Because you're doing it for you. And somewhere deep inside the child, it will register that they're being used. They're being fucking manipulated again for your purposes, for the parent's purposes. But if you're doing it strictly to heal the child, that's deliberate parenting. That's honorable parenting, that it ain't about me, that I'm not, I may never get this child back, but damn it, I gotta do the right thing. I gotta put my tail between my legs and go with a contrite heart and fess up to my shit and own it and change my behaviors. It's the same in any relationship. Own your shit. 
own it. Don't try to make it go away. Don't downplay it, whatever. Just put it out there and own it. You want to know why? In part, because those are the people we respect in life. That when they screw up, when they fail, when they fuck up, when they fall down, they have the balls to fucking put themselves out there. and Say, I did it. There's no excuse. And they take their lumps. They take their medicine. And that's what it means to honor your child. It's to own your shit. Not just so you can get the relationship back, but so they will heal, knowing you may never get that relationship back. All right, next question. What do we got? The child can be 40 years old too. Yes, they can. I agree. All right. Let's go with this one. Here we go. How do I appeal for civility in emails? She won 70-30 and still caustic in emails. I didn't cheat. Okay. I'll take you at your word. You didn't cheat. Okay. Uh, clearly, she's acting as if you had, and clearly she's being caustic, to your point. And how do you appeal for civility? I'll just be really straightforward with you. If you appeal for civility, she's going to be less civil. Why? Because she knows you want it. So she's not going to give it to you. She's going to fuck with you, man. She, clearly her goal is to hurt you. Clearly she's hurting and she believes you are the cause of her hurt. And so now her desire is to hurt you back. Okay. And you appealing for anything, guess what she's going to do? The opposite. Right. So what I would recommend you do, and it's not the answer you want. So, oh, well. What you need to do is you need to work on you. And what that means is you need to go inside of yourself and ask yourself, what the hell is going on inside of me when she's uncivil, when she's mean, when she's rude, when she keeps saying all these things that aren't true and that hurt my feelings? Because she's going to continue as long as it bothers you. Would somebody, if somebody wanted to hurt Steve and they knew that calling Steve stinky really hurt his feelings, and they wanted to hurt Steve, would they keep calling Steve stinky? Yes. But what if they called Steve dummy? But it, Steve, you know, he always got messages at home and from schools that he's really smart. You call him dummy and he's like, that doesn't hurt my feelings. That's just dumb. Are you going to keep calling? If your goal is to hurt Steve, are you going to keep calling him dummy? No. Why? Because it doesn't hurt Steve. What hurts Steve is when you call him stinky because his older brothers, when they'd sit around watching TV back in the 70s before we had remote controls and Steve had his socks off, his older brothers and his older sister would always say, God, your feet stink, Sven. Oops, Steve. So you call me stinky and it hits me right here, baby. Okay. Do you understand? I Kind of a silly point, but do you understand? The only reason she keeps being civil is because she knows her uncivility Discivility, uns being uncivil, bugs the shit out of you. She knows she's got you by the short and curlies. So what if you were to become unaffected by incivility, uncivility? Would, would the etymologist in the group please set me straight on this? Or the grammarian? Anyway, do you see it? That it only pisses you, she keeps doing it because she knows it pisses you off. So the solution isn't to try to change her because she's not gonna, because she wants to hurt you. The goal is change you so that it feels like she's just calling you dummy and not stinky. Oh, well, how do I do that? Oh, you go inside yourself. You start the fucking journaling and letter writing. You get my book. There's a hole in my love cup. You go into all those questions. It's, it's the whole thing of triggers, you guys. And you've seen my TikToks and my posts and my uh, videos on YouTube and all this that I've done on this notion of triggers. And the simple notion of triggers is this. Remember this, fine humans. The notion of triggers is simply this. If you're getting triggered by things, that means that there are things inside of you that are being triggered. There are memories and events and situations inside of you that have emotional charges attached to them. 
okay? And when something gets dropped inside of you, some particular thing gets dropped in, it electrifies all of those emotional charges. And it goes, and you get all jacked up, right? You're hopped up, you're angry, you're sad, you're whatever, right? And so we say to people, well, stop being around that person if he triggers you, right? And so you've got this, these emotional charges. It's like you have sticks of dynamite inside of yourself and you just go through life avoiding anything that looks like a lighter or a match, right? You avoid things that will light the fuse. You avoid things that will trigger you, but that's only half a solution. It's not even a half. It's a third. The two-thirds solution is get rid of the fucking dynamite. Go inside yourself and get rid of the dynamite. Otherwise, you're just a time bomb, a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. You're not going to be able to go through all of life and you, unless you go full on hermetic. You are not going to fucking go through life and not be triggered, not, you know, have no triggers. There's going to be somebody with a match and they're going to find you, whether they're intending to or not. And you're going to blow up in your own special way of how you blow up when you're triggered, right? So what if you actually got the fucking dynamite out of it rather than getting rid of the triggers, rather than trying to get your wife to be civil in emails? What if you went inside of yourself, got the dynamite out? That which is being triggered. Your feelings, your thoughts, your memories from your past that have emotional charges to them such that incivility affects you. All right, next question. Do the triggers ever go away? Yes, but you're asking the wrong question. Does that which is being triggered, does the dynamite ever go away? Yes, yes, people. That's why I do this work. I create all these tools so that you guys will heal yourselves. I mean, if you got a therapist, do it with great, spectacular. If you got a good one who's pushing you, but I give all these tools, the books and the podcasts and the free videos, all this stuff. You got to use the tools to get rid of the dynamite, to get rid of those emotional charges, decharge all those memories. Then you won't be triggered. Yes, the, the things being triggered go away. So let's say uh, Tommy has this habit and whatever Tommy's habit is, it always triggers me. God damn it. Whenever I'm around Tommy, I always get set off. I'm always triggered. You can get rid of Tommy, but you still have a stick of dynamite. Well, then guess what happens? You get rid of that stick of dynamite, that thing inside of you that is being triggered, that memory that has the emotional charge. You get rid of the emotional charge. Then you bump into Tommy at the high school reunion and he's doing the same shit and it doesn't bother you. Huh? The trigger is still there. Tommy, Tommy the trigger. Trigger Tommy. Tommy Trigger is still there doing the same shit, but it doesn't bother me. Why? Because I got rid of the dynamite. I got rid of that thing inside of me that was being triggered. Did the triggers ever go away? Who cares if the triggers go away? That which is being triggered can definitely go away. Just do the work. All righty. Here we go. Significant other said, SO, significant other, became abusive after a severe TBI, traumatic brain injury, and he can't handle hearing about the abuse. What do I do? Ugh. First of all, I wanna say I'm sorry you're in an abusive relationship. I'm really sorry. It sounds like you probably had a good relationship before that, and you're in an abusive one now, and I am truly sorry, and it sucks, and I have been in an abusive relationship long-term, and it's horrible. So I wanna say, first of all, I'm sorry. All right, uh, he can't handle hearing about the abuse. I am assuming you've obviously tried talking about it with him. I am assuming, I'm going to assume also that you have attempted to get him to go to therapy. And if you haven't, I recommend that you do, but I'm gonna assume that you have. And now you're at wit's end. What the hell do I do? I'm being abused. And he doesn't wanna, he can't handle hearing about, i.e. doesn't wanna talk about the abuse and yet continues to abuse you. What do I do? You get the fuck out, that's all. I'm not saying it's easy, but you get the fuck out. Do you want to know why? Because no one has a right to abuse you. 
You're not a bad person. You do have worth. You are lovable. You are wantable. No one has a right to abuse you at all, ever, today, tomorrow, yesterday. Nope. Sven, even if it's due to a brain injury? Yeah. I don't give a fuck. You don't get to be mean to me. Because if it, the mere fact that, and that's great. I'm glad you, asked, glad you asked that question. Clearly the person has law, has maintained their ability to speak. You said they can't handle hearing about the abuse. Okay, I can't handle your abuse. Your needs don't trump my needs. Good luck fucking taking care of yourself. Good luck healing and doing what you need to do for your traumatic brain injury. Thanks for the memories, um, but I don't want this. And really the question that has to be answered in order for you to take this action is, do I matter? Or do I only matter when I'm doing shit for other people? No, do you matter? Or does the other person always matter more than you? Whether it's your spouse or whoever you're interacting with, the other person always matters. And we've been raised, so many people have been raised to believe the other person matters more than me. And it's just not true. I spend so much time in my life trying to help other people. Rob spends so much time in his life doing really great, kind, loving things for other people. This notion of do I matter? So often, so many people, and I was conditioned this way, so many people are conditioned to believe it's all about serving other people. And some religions do a good job of selling that. And I'm not anti-religion. I'm just saying they do. I used to be a Lutheran pastor for fuck's sake. <laughs> That's a great sentence. I used to be a Lutheran pastor for fuck's sake. <laughs> Anywho, how? Uh, <laughs> well, it's funny because I used to say, and, and I wrote books in the field of spirituality and and politics, spirituality and science, spirituality and sports, blah, blah, blah. And I always used to say, if a person can't use the word fuck and the word and the word God in the same sentence, I don't want to listen to them. I don't want to hear their theology. And I have a good friend who says, I'm agnostic. Thank God. <laughs> I like your friend. That's clever. So my point is mattering. I matter making that bold proclamation and living a life of I matter is the healing of the hole in the love cup that got poked back in childhood where now you can hold love. But my mattering then causes me to have more love to give. I'm making myself matter. I am fundamentally filling my own love cup by doing those things and being that person in life that I want to be. But it's also cutting out of my life those things that aren't me or that undermine me or I just don't want in my life. And when we do that, the more we cut out that which is not me and engage more that is me, it's us filling our own love cup, which means we have more love to give, which means KC can go and do things like helping the homeless. And Rob can do the, the, uh, the wonderful th things he does at his uh, place of worship and elsewhere and so forth. And, you know, there's more love to give rather than just always giving from an empty cup. So, he can't handle hearing about the abuse. He's abusing you and can't hear handle hearing about your abuse. I'm gonna, uh, his abuse of you, I'm gonna tell you point blank, get the fuck out. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your fucking time. If you have tried and tried and even tried therapy and nothing's working, save yourself. There's nobody coming along to save you. You have to save yourself and it's hard and it's scary and so forth, but you have to do the work. Why? Because otherwise you're choosing death. And in the words of the immortal Minnesotan, Bob Dylan, he not busy being born is busy dying. All right. All uh, right. How do I help my adult children see that their dad is a religious abuser? I'm going, I'm wondering, are you, if you're saying, you are flat out saying that the father of your children is an abuser, regardless of the source, religion or otherwise, you're saying they're an abuser. If that is the case, you obviously have the obligation to get your children 
away from that person. So I hope you're not still living under the same roof. The mere fact that you use the phrase, um, help my adult, oh, adult children, forgive me, I missed that, that their dad is a religious abuser. How about just telling him? Just flat out tell him and then let the chips fall where they will. Okay, and, you're, and you said, how do I help my adult children see that their dad is a religious abuser? The truth is eventually, and the weird age, it's usually somewhere in the mid-30s. I don't know why this is, but it's the mid-30s where very often, not always, it can be much, much sooner, it can be much, much later, but often in the mid-30s is we begin to see life differently. We begin to much more see life through adult eyes. Even if we don't have children of our own, we just begin to see life differently. There's this great poet, also a Minnesotan, Robert Bly, and I remember back in the 80s, uh, reading some of his poetry and reading about some of the workshops he would do. And Robert Bly only did workshops. He did men's workshops. And he was working on, you know, in one of his books was Iron John Poetry um, and, and so forth. And, uh, but he only worked with men over the age of 35. And he believed that basically that's when the shift happens and we begin to see life differently. So what I'm getting at with you when you ask the question, how do I help my adult children see that their dad is a religious abuser? You put it out there. State the truth, what you believe the truth to be, and then you let the chips fall where they will, trusting that with time, they will in all likelihood see the parent, the other parent for who they are, and they will see you for who you are. And the truth is, if you are, raise the question, why do you feel the need to help your adult children see that their dad is a religious abuser? If they're adults, do they not have the ability to extract themselves from the father if he's still abusing? And uh, if you draw it to their attention, you're fundamentally giving them permission to do so. But if you harp and harp and harp on it, it's going to come off like you're just bitter or you're trying to turn them against their father, which you've got to look at your own reasons for why you're wanting to do this. But if they're adults, you put it out there and let the chips fall where they will. Because in the end, as adults, part of being an adult is making your own decisions. Next question. All right. Where we got where are we going? Uh, this is kind of a, in the moment, it's written, it's a long question and I'm going to try to shorten it up. Uh, but this is coming at us from Facebook and this is uh, in the moment. This is very today, very mod, very hip. Met someone three months ago and told me that he smokes pot occasionally. Pot is in capital letters. Not sure why, that's okay though. Uh, smokes pot occasionally. This is a deal breaker for me. Only thing is that he's very nice. We get along and I feel like, home when we are together. But this bothers me a lot and just can't turn the page. Don't want to end. And he said he's not changing. So, okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Uh, if you and I were having an in-person conversation where I could ask follow-up questions, I would ask you the question, um, what is it about smoking pot that bothers you? I'm not an advocate of smoking pot. I am not an unadvocate of smoking pot. I'm not against, I don't give a shit. Someone's life, I don't care. You know, if that's, if it's legal and you want to live your life that way, fuck do I care? All right. I would want, so I'm not judging the smoking pot or not wanting someone. You have every right to have smoking pot as a deal breaker for you. It's your life. You can live it however the hell you want. There's nothing wrong with that. There's some people who deal breaker is, I dated, I dated a woman, Rob. I dated a woman. Um, this was before I met my present girlfriend. No, God, it was way before that. This was in the 2000s. And uh, I was dated a woman who was a professor, a college professor, Beautiful, French, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, French women, come on. Anyway, her a deal breaker for her, and, and I was dating online dating, which I kind of enjoy, but um, one of her deal breakers, I found out whether it was online or I think it was on like the first date, she said, I can't stand any chewing noises. Really? 
absolute deal breaker for her that food sounds when you're in a meal. And I generally have good manners. I don't talk with food in my mouth. You know, my kids know that was like huge deal breaker. You will cease to be my child if you talk food in your, you know, food in your mouth or, you know, chew with your mouth open or things like that. But I was always neurotic when I was out to dinner with this woman. Mm. If you're an extreme giver, you just stop eating. <laughs> That's it. I, baby, I've, I've given up even eating just for you because I know you hate those sounds. All right, so back to Vivian's question. Met someone three months ago and told me that he smokes pot occasionally. Again, pot is capitalized. I don't know why. This is a deal breaker for me. And it's okay that it's a deal breaker, Vivian. For that woman, the deal breaker was chewing sounds. It just bugged the shit out of her. She didn't like it. And that's okay. Some people don't like dating someone who drinks. Some people don't like dating or being with someone who doesn't apologize. Other people, they don't care if they don't apologize. All right, apologies, total deal breaker for me. All right, so it's okay that that's a deal breaker for you. Nothing wrong with that. But then you go on to say, only thing is that he's very nice and we get along and I feel like home when we're together. But this bothers me a lot and just can't turn the page. Don't want to end. And he said he's not changing. So she says, Rob, you want to weigh in on this one? Well, if it's the smell of the smoke that bothers her, but she doesn't like chewing, switching to gummies won't help. Yeah, right. If it's not just the pot, it's the just chewing looking noises. For, looking for solutions. All here. right. All right. I like that. Um, so in all honesty, okay, so you've got to hang up regarding pot and that's okay. You can have it. I'll be very honest with you. Uh, you know, coming out of the 60s and 70s as an athlete and, you know, I was raised in a religious home. I had a hang up about pot. I did. I did. And, and so I get it. Or maybe you just don't like it, don't like the smell, don't like the notion that someone is on it. And that would be the question I would want to ask you. What is it about the pot that you don't like? And it's okay that you don't like it. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with him not wanting to stop. There's nothing wrong with that. And But you're at an impasse. I like this guy. And so really what you're being forced to ask yourself is, what do I value more? Can I be really honest with you? When I started dating my present girlfriend nine and a half years ago, she was a flat out hardcore vegetarian. And I had on my profile, I don't date vegetarians or vegans. I can't handle the self-righteousness. <laughs> and so, but she was pretty and she's smart as fuck. And um, I just admire her so much that I want to date her. And so I made an exception for a first date. And uh, I also said that I don't date people in the garment industry and she was in the garment industry. I don't even know what my hangup was back then, but she was in the garment industry and she was a vegetarian. It's just like, wow. But what does it say? Okay, so I opened up my mind and had date and it was great. She was great and so on and so forth. And in the, the relationship just kept going. And she wasn't self-righteous about the vegetarianism thing. And boy, there are actually nice people in the garment industry. And now I've met tons of them and they're my friends and shit. It was just, who knows the idiotic fucking stupid ass hang up I had back then, right? Anywho, how we had reached an agreement. We did. We said, listen, as long as you don't try to turn me into a vegetarian, I won't try to push meat or cow or pig or eel on you. Okay. So if you respect my boundaries, I will respect your boundaries. And she's like, yeah, cool. I won't try to make you a vegetarian. Now, the upshot is, is she makes really great vegetable dishes. Last night, we had this cauliflower steak. My God, it's so good. Um, uh, Rob, you're with a vegetarian, aren't you? I am. A, a bit of a, a pescatarian. I think same with uh, your part. Yeah, my part. Crustatarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so was that a hard compromise? I know you're a hell of a chef. Was that a hard compromise for you to date a pescatarian? She she was worth adjusting my cooking methods for, no question. All and, right. And I'm enjoying making things we both like. Exactly. 
And that's it. I've actually started picking out vegetarian or even vegan restaurants like in Manhattan or whatever, where there's just amazing restaurants. Why? Because my girlfriend likes to go to a restaurant where she can have anything on the menu. And I want her to have that experience. And so we have it together. And I've grown to love vegetarian food and vegan food and stuff. And I eat, I actually eat my vegetables. My mommy would be so proud. Rob? Yeah. Indian restaurants are often very handy for that. Yeah. You know, Okay, so now we're getting to hangups again. We're still on this pot question. We're getting to hangups. And I, I think she has a serious problem with it because she capitalized P-O-T. So oh, she has such an extreme aversion to the notion of THC and marijuana. I'm not sure how easy it would be to get past that. Well, and maybe she can't. And may, and may But that's what I would want to explore. I would want to go deeper on what is the hangup. Is it the smell or is it just this notion that this person uses pot and you have a negative perception of people who use pot? And so you've got to go inside yourself and look at what's going on. But what I say is enjoy the relationship for what it is. Enjoy the relationship for as long as it is. And maybe this person is a new friend. Maybe you can compromise. Maybe you don't want to compromise. And that's okay. So enjoy the relationship for what it is. But it's not going to be the one you want it to be. So in some respects, you have to let go of the relationship. Either someone's got to change, which sounds like no one is, or you got to let go of the relationship and just let it be what it is. Maybe it's a friendship and just let it be that. But this is clearly not the person for you, sadly. And we grieve that and life goes on. People, this has been one of my all-time most disfavoritestest lightning rounds ever. I love it. This is great. I'm happy. Rob's happy. Casey's happy, despite the middle finger. Um, it's just a great day to be alive. I got my bicycle ride today. I feel so good. Uh, Rob, closing thoughts. No, I think we're fine. Um, I think I did want to point out to you that in Apple's latest release of their operating system for the phone, there is a new app called Journal. And it gives you cues for journaling based on the photographs you have taken. They're expressing it as a way to express gratitude. But I would say if the picture doesn't make you happy, it's a good way also to journal this stuff out. And it's all set up. What do you think? I think that's fantastic. I, I'm all for any tool that helps you go into yourself. And in the case of journaling, that really raises a really good point. People journaling ain't just about gratitude lists. You know, gratitude lists are fine, but unless you're going into the shit lists, like all the anger, you should be grateful for your anger, grateful for your sadness, grateful for all of that, why you're alive. And it's just one more indicator of where of healing you got to do inside of you. Anytime you're set off, triggered, feel bad, feel mad, feel glad, feel anything, that's something inside of you that you can heal. So you got to be grateful for all that shit. And then you got to get into the work of flushing it out. But I love that, that uh, Apple has that tool. I think it's great. And as I've mentioned, um, I have another book coming out this year and it is a 366 day um, journaling prompt slash meditation slash punch in the face with great quotes, but also little snippets, little uh, anecdotes to elicit your work, yourself going deeper into self and flushing out the pain, the fears, but especially the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. I tell you, people, this has been great. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Badass Counseling Show and to my friends in Australia, South Africa, the Amalfi Coast, to all, all the people that listen in Canada, I love you so much. To the people down south in the United States and way up north, east and west. To my friends, all the good, fine people of the UK. You guys in Dublin or London, wherever you're listening today, it's Wales. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. On behalf of KC in the booth and Rob the Rocket next to me, have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. 
Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.